disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. All right, this will be a fun conversation. I always love when Congressman Massey comes on the program. One, because I always enjoy uh, reading the secondhand hate I get from the Twitter sphere when he retweets that he's been on the show. It's always fun to watch useless trash bag people <laughs> just saying stupid stuff from their memos basement. I love it. It's entertaining. But we're also going to talk about some important stuff, ranging from the really bad mistakes our government made in COVID to talking about what is gain-of-function research and why your tax dollars may have funded the pandemic to the Second Amendment in a deep conversation about liberty and justice for all. So welcome to this conversation, but we're going to start it off talking about Massey Burgers. We're going to start it off talking about the best way to make a daggum cheeseburger, all right? But first, thanks to our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops, I don't talk about businesses that I don't fully believe in and that this is the case with Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. I believe in them because I've been a customer. They fixed our ugly island and turned it into something beautiful. And our house sold in like less than a day when it came time to put it on the market because of the work that they did, I think, is a, is a portion of why it sold. I mean, it was a beautiful home, beautiful property, but that kitchen was stunning. And I know that when people walk in and see it, they were like, yeah, this is it. Because the kitchen literally makes the home, Right. So if you have come to that place where you're ready to do a full upgrade of your kitchen or maybe a partial upgrade or maybe just a little bit of work or maybe a whole lot of work, I don't know, whatever it is, call them, 502-930-3304 and talk to Michelle, Kelly, and George, their designers. They will customize your kitchen for you. If you're a con contractor or a do-it-yourselfer, they have cabinets in stock of all different kinds of styles. They're beautiful, they're affordable, and they're high quality. They can also cut you some laminate Pretty much same day if you know your measurements. And then any type of uh, hard surface countertop they have available as well for you to order. So fantastic organization. Great work ethic. Love these guys. Tim Montgomery, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. All right. Let's talk about cheeseburgers with Congressman Thomas Massey. You're eating a Massey burger. Yes. What exactly is a Massey burger? This has to have come from your farm, right? Yes. The Massey burgers come from the Massey farm. Uh, do you put That's cheese on it? <clears throat> Because if you don't put cheese on it, you're not a daggum American. You need to get the heck off my uh, out I, of my studio right I now. Put, well, <laughs> way to intimidate me. I did. I did put cheese on it. Okay. And, and mushrooms. This is. Mushrooms. We eat hamburgers like every day. Yeah. So we eat them ten different ways. Okay. And so today I'm having a Massey burger with Swiss and oyster mushrooms, sautéed oyster mushrooms. Uh, that sounds kind of weird, but you know what? I, I dig it. What's your favorite style? Of a hamburger. Oh, okay. The mop. You know what mop is? My uh, dad always no. got mop. I don't know what that is. Don't Mustard, know. onion, pickle. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Just straight up mop, and you can eat that without bread, and it's pretty good. Mustard, okay. onion, pickle. Yeah. Um, And then I kind of like the Wendy's everything cheeseburger type. Yeah. And then, you know, American cheese and mushrooms. It's hard sauteed, just regular mushrooms. Now, are all beat. your cattle, are they all grass-fed? I've, I have. I mean, obviously, they eat grass growing up. But I mean, are they grass-finished, or do you finish them off with, like, some kind of grain, or what do you do with that? 
99.9% of them are grass-fed. I dabbled with a few steers, mm. put some grain in a feeder that I invented that runs on solar power, and uh, fed five steers some grain for a while. Okay. Non-GMO. Uh, yeah. So, cause, okay, so we have this ranch co-op close to where I live, and um, they I, I buy most of my, like I usually get my meat from ButcherBox, mm-hmm. like delivered, which is great. Um, but I also get the rest of it from there. And when I want steaks, I go with them because they do it's it's grass fed, but at the end they finish it with barley, like not like mm-hmm. not GMO corn. It's like it's just a little bit right. of barley. And honest to God, this is the best tasting marble fat when it renders <laughs> up on the grill I have ever had in my life. And so I'm kind of like hooked on it. But they're super healthy cows throughout most of their life. Everything else I eat, it's grass fed. Um, but I, I'm like you, man. I eat a lot of hamburger. I just put, I put some hamburger out tonight. I'm gonna make some burgers right now in the air fryer tonight for dinner. I we just love had, them. We had two beefs slaughtered, and I said, "Give me the steaks and the sirloin tip roast and the brisket back, and everything else turn into hamburger." And so we've got, you know, like the chuck roast, the arm roast, the ground round, all that's in sirloin? hamburger. Or did the, you do the sirloins as steaks? Uh, we did the sirloin tip as a roast, and then the sirloin as steaks. But everything else was hamburger. It's okay. so good. Yeah. And here's the thing. Think about this, Leland. I was cutting and baling hay the other day and thinking about this. People say that cattle are not good for the environment. It's not a green way to farm, it's et cetera, bull. et cetera. It's bull crap. It is bull crap because think about this. They want you to eat something that was derived from a row crop, whether it's let's let's say wheat or corn or soybeans okay i'm raising grass okay i don't have to plant it i don't have to till it i don't put herbicides on it i don't put pesticides on it my crop is grass and then three quarters of it is harvested by a tractor made by god right which is a cow right it goes right it goes, these are bio-ruminating. But it farts, and that's what's killing the world. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, every every living thing comes from the carbon in the air. Right. And it goes back to carbon in the air. There's very little carbon in the soil. You dig down, unless you're in the Great Plains, where the soil can be five feet deep because right. there were animals grazing there and depositing carbon into the soil right so anyways think about that the next time somebody says it's it's you know that soybeans are greener than cattle ask them but are soybeans greener than grass that is a great point yeah that's a great point and and i i plus when you mention those row crops how many animals are killed by oh. those row crops well first of all you, you're trying to sterilize th- you know all the acreage there. You don't want a single animal in that field. Whereas when you have a grass pasture, there are rabbits, birds, frogs, squirrels, you name it, snakes. All manner of God's creation. Insects. Yeah. Just butterflies, honeybees, you know, sharing the clover. Right. All that stuff. <laughs> I mean, it just cracks me up when people say it's that beef is not green. Yeah. Because so really dumb. what they're saying is grass and fields and meadows yeah. are not green. Yeah, that's so dumb. And now, now, 
Everybody listening is going to go out and have themselves a cheeseburger, and I highly recommend it. Um, welcome back, sir. It's good to talk to you. Good to be with you, Leland. Uh, there's several things I want to talk about. And uh, so how I want to do this is since we're going to be on the air at KFYI in Phoenix tomorrow, we're going to do that portion first. Okay. And that's going to be kind of just a quick synopsis of the three things I want to hit with you. And then if you want, we can go back and just go a little more in depth in those. And that can be okay. for the podcast listeners and my show on WGTK <clears throat> this weekend in Louisville. So we'll do it that way. But let's start with, I think, some of the most important things. Congressman Thomas Massey, you are one of the most vocal uh, proponents of questioning the ridiculous decisions that have been made by our government throughout the course of COVID. You and your colleague, uh, Senator Rand Paul, uh, have both been probably right at the forefront of questioning some of the really bad decisions. Senator Rand Paul may have actually ended the pandemic last <laughs> couple weeks ago when he actually questioned Fauci on gain-of-function research and the funding that may have come from his organization at the lab in China which we now are starting to see more and more evidence that the virus, in fact, did leak from that lab. So let's start there. Let's start with how badly our government has handled this situation, how hard they've worked to cover up the real. Because really, the fact that the virus came from China not only points the finger at China, but it also points the finger at us, doesn't it? Because our tax dollars essentially funded the pandemic. Our tax dollars were going to the Wuhan virus lab uh, right through the beginning of this pandemic, it was it was Donald Trump who had, uh, and Mark Meadows who shut it down. Right. Um, I mean, I guess you know when you're president, it's hard to know where all the money's going. But Congress funded it too. Right. Well, hadn't hadn't President Obama shut down funding on gain of function research? And I heard the other day that Dr. Fauci found a way through the bureaucratic system to reopen it sort of underneath of President Trump's nose. Like there, like they didn't realize that it had been reopened and refunded despite the fact that the last administration had basically canceled it and Trump didn't restart it on his own. Well, you know, I've co-sponsored a bill to fire Fauci. And that's the, you know, that's the name of it, the Fire Fauci Act or something like that. But once you <laughs> I love get the in the way you name bills, it cracks me up. <laughs> once you get into it though, one of the things it does is a full audit of the things that he's been funding. Right. And, you know, people thought you know, they didn't take the bill very seriously, but they should. Right. Um, here is, you know, sometimes you get these tidbits of information that are more reliable than 20 news casts put together. The, the tidbit of information that I have that leads me to believe that this is very likely something that was cooked up by the, the Chinese government and that our government is culpable is the fact that on March 27th of last year, when I insisted that everybody come to Congress and vote, mm -hmm. the one person who was the most apoplectic, the one person who seemed to be so irrationally, given the information we had, at the time, so irrationally afraid of this virus that she could barely function was the daughter of the former vice president who still read in to all the top secret information, Liz Cheney. Really? She was terrified of this virus. And she's not in an age category 
where she would be, you know, that at risk. So what are you what are you indicating here? Are you indicating that because she was read in to this information, she knew long before anybody else that we had potentially accidentally created it? I think so. Okay. That's I mean, look, I think there's a 90% chance that this was created in a lab and my estimation of that probability is is increased. It's increased to 90% and has been since the week that we were supposed to, you know, pass a $2 trillion bill without showing up for work. And I found out that it was Liz Cheney who was the most afraid of this virus. She was so upset that I made people come to work that she max donated to my primary opponent. <laughs> now, people say she has a lot of other good reasons to do that. Maybe so, because I don't well, support forever wars. You are a bit, of, are a bit of a troublemaker. Well, if, you, if ending the wars and... and you know, standing up for privacy, if that's making trouble, I'll make more of it. Yeah. But I believe, I really believe, Leland, that she had information that this was human derived, that this was the, the, that was not a natural occurrence. Right. And that's why she was afraid. I, I want of people it. to understand that you are not just some country bumpkin who has a few acres in Kentucky. You have a working off the grid totally green farm that's several hundred acres you went to mit you know science you invented your own power wall that runs a five a four thousand plus square foot house completely off the grid you invented a tractor that allows your chickens to move free range across your property without being attacked and killed by foxes and other kinds of animals and it runs without you even touching it you're you're not you're not a typical congressman that doesn't really know anything other than what his his talking points guys have fed him. I want people to understand that you've got a little bit of background on this stuff. So can you explain what gain-of-function research is? I mean, my understanding of it, just tell me if I'm right, is that it's scientists doing a controversial type of research where they take a virus that they think may in the future have a possibility of being transmissible from animals to humans. They make it transmissible from animals to humans in anticipation of that eventual event to try to find treatments for it before it actually happens, and they try to isolate it in the lab so it doesn't get out. Is that correct? And maybe we had a mistake here where it did. Is that is that so that people understand what gain of function research is? That's my understanding of it. Okay. But I'm I'm not going to say I'm an expert on it at all. I'm just saying you have some expertise in science um, in how things work. Yes. I'm not saying you're an expert in this type of research. You haven't created any evil viruses that I know of. So I have not created any evil viruses. I have written an iPhone app. <laughs> and hopefully it won't metastasize into a virus. <laughs> but if I wanted to write a virus in code, I could do it. Well, why should why should Americans care about? Well, because I it, well, look, the, the motives behind this may have been very altruistic. We wanted to head off a potential pandemic before it happened, but we accidentally may have actually created the damn thing. So so why should people care about this? So it doesn't happen again. Right. I mean, that's the that would be my main concern. It's not just the death and suffering as a result of this virus. By by the way, thank God, and I mean that literally, thank God for our immune systems. Yeah. I think the people who were tweaking this virus and <clears throat> were terrified when it escaped are actually pretty surprised at how robust the human immune system is. Right. I think they were worried that they had done a better job 
than they actually had mm. and that the human immune system wasn't as good as it was right. but it has been good but we don't want this to happen again right look, with something worse and it's not just the deaths and the suffering it look what they've done to our economy look what right. they've done to our society look what they've done to our children look what they've done to our monetary system yeah yeah that's I mean, it, the ramifications of this, as you and I said early on, we're going to be bigger from the decisions we made resulting from it than the damage from the virus itself. And that seems to be the truth, because now there was a study that came out yesterday that showed that people who've been um, who've had the virus, which I believe you did. Yes. Um, are having not only long lasting antibodies to it, but perhaps permanent lifelong antibodies to it. The research continues to show that even though early on the media once again, misinterpreted that. Um, so are you are you choosing like your colleague Rand Paul to not take the virus or take the vaccine as a result of your own having built up those antibodies? Do you still have antibodies? Do you feel like it might be a permanent type of uh, immunity to it? So uh, I got the antibody test last summer and um, was positive with three X, the level of antibodies that is considered a robust response. And by the way, you would have had this prior to the main breakout because you I had it in January, in January of last year. I can't prove it. There was no COVID test at the time, but I was sicker than a dog for four days. Right. One of the sickest times of my life. And then that summer I got the antibody test. I had the antibodies. My wife had the antibodies. She had been sick in January at the same time. I got the antibody test again in November. Ooh, no antibodies. Hmm. I was exposed to COVID in my household from one of my children who quarantined with my wife and I. Neither of us got COVID again. Right. So I am relying on the permanent robust. Now, maybe it, maybe it will wane. Maybe it's not permanent, but it's right. long lasting. Right. And, and there's studies coming out every day. You know, can we, can we, Quit saying we don't know if the immunity lasts for more than three months. We've right. been this virus has been circulating for eighteen months. Right. And there is a study, the the most comprehensive study I have seen, and it's hard to have selection bias in a study when you take a whole country and study it. But Israel collected all the data and there's a researcher a group of researchers that went through it and found out that your immunity from the vaccine is the same as your immunity from natural infection. Hmm. And it's about it's about 96% effective. Mm -hmm. By the way, in, in one or either or both cases, the 4% could be measurement error. Right. Okay. So like maybe the person didn't have COVID the first time. Maybe the vaccine didn't work the first time. Who knows? But it's 96% effective at, at keeping you from having symptoms again. Right. So what, I mean, why would you, this is the, this is the thing that frustrates the heck out of me. Now, I'm not for immunity passports, okay? But vaccine passports are just stupid. Like, if you were going to go based on the science and be unconstitutional, <laughs> then you would have immunity passports. Right. Where you would do like a, a test, not just of your antibodies, but of your T cells and what other part of the immune system we actually understand, whether you've had the vaccine or not. Right. 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 To understand, are you immune? Yeah. 
Okay, whether you've, you know, if you've taken the vaccine, well, we still don't know that you're immune. People keep saying, well, sometimes it doesn't work. Right. Okay, we'll test and find out, did it work on that person? And then people have had a natural infection. And then some of these Twitter trolls and (laughs) some of my colleagues in Congress, well, we don't know how long the immunity (laughs) lasts. We don't know if you really are immune. Okay, we'll test. Do a test. Be scientific. Don't be stupid. The, t- the, the survey in Israel had like over a million people. There were 189,000 people in the study who were prior infection who didn't get the vaccine. Right. And by the way, when they vaccinated people in Israel, if you had already had COVID, they didn't give you the vaccine. Like, huh. they, this is what they should have been doing in the United States. Right, right. Is yeah. prioritizing. Okay. So how many people, you know, they like to say, well, if you'd done this, people wouldn't, so many people wouldn't have died. What if when the vaccines were limited, you had prioritized? How many people died because we didn't prioritize right. and, and we wasted vaccines on people who didn't need them? Because the CDC is treating everybody like a bunch of idiots. Right. They're assuming that they are worried. Here's why the CDC is lying to you. And I caught him on tape. The director from Washington, D.C., I've got her on tape. Well, I say tape. That's how old I am. (laughs) It's on my iPhone. I gave it to Cheryl Atkins. She did a a story on this. They know that the Pfizer trial data, the Moderna trial data, each of those had tens of thousands of subjects. And yes, each of those had at least a thousand people who had had a prior infection in their study. They know that that trial data doesn't show any benefit to those who've been uh, previously infected with COVID from the vaccine. There's no benefit from it, according to that trial data. Yet they lied about it on their website. I got them to admit it in private. They said they would fix it. They didn't fix it. People like Fauci, well, (laughs) I used to say Fauci would lie to you if he thought it was for your own good. Right. Now I'm just going to say Fauci will lie to you. It's in his bloodstream. Right. He has no other way of operating but to lie. Now the CDC, I think, is lying to you because they think it will help you. They think if everybody just gets the vaccine and we don't try to sort the you know the wheat from the chaff, we don't try to figure out who had natural immunity before they got the vaccine then that's the best way to treat this. Yeah. Well, we're, there's a new study out, too, from uh, Town Hall has this story, but there's a new study out that shows that um, masks didn't slow down the COVID spread. Uh, the virus did what the virus was going to do. Um, you know, and that there's another gross error on the part of the mi- mainstream media and the, the, the government, you know, and that was one of the examples of Fauci lying, where first he tells us that, you know, don't wear it, then admits that he only said that because he wanted to make sure we had enough uh, masks for our workers, which, by the way, um, I was listening to Joe Rogan's podcast the other day, and he had a guest on who was telling that one of the reasons why we did that was because China was threatening us that if we talked about where the virus actually came from, like that it got out of a lab, that they would not allow us to get access to PPE um, because they made all the masks at that time. So, <laughs> Mean, meanwhile, Joe Biden has proposed giving all intellectual property away right, right. from the United States to China and Russia. That is insane. That is insane. Here's something else I want to share with you. 
that I haven't seen in the news. By the way, there's so much stuff that I share that's not in the news that's in the news like a year later. Like when I told everybody there were rich people in Norway getting stimulus checks and they because they had worked in the United States 50 years ago, five zero years ago. Uh, well, now you see there are rich people in Japan getting checks who worked here 50 years ago, half a century ago. But there's something, uh, and now, you know, now the media is caught up six months later, eight months later. There's something else I want to share with you. This comes from my pharmacy friends. Most of the good information I get does not come from hearings <laughs> in Congress, if you can believe it or not. But the way the vaccine's being distributed, there are like five treatments or ten treatments in one vial. Now, a lot of other vaccines are individual doses. And what happens at the pharmacies is they have to open a vial to give one person a vaccine if one person shows up. But then they have to discard the rest of the vial if they don't have enough people show up soon enough. And this is not in the news, but I bet we're throwing away three doses for every dose that's given. That's interesting. Especially... In, in small towns and rural areas yeah, where wow. you may only have two people show up at a pharmacy for the vaccine that day. Right. And wow. the government's paying for all that because yeah. of the way this stuff is packaged. Jeez. Well, and I can't, not to jump around a little bit, but to go back to your point about giving away the intellectual property, the, the, the way that the Trump hand, handled Trump administration handled the vaccine was actually really good because they went to the, they went to the vaccine makers and said, look, we're going to, we're going to take the fear out of this. We're going to take the regulations away and we're going to go ahead and pay you for a bunch of vaccines up front. That allowed them to do the innovation that led to the vaccine. But now they don't get to get paid on the backside. Not that I feel sorry for pharmaceutical companies, but when the when the president goes and gives away that intellectual property, what you're doing is down the road, you are actually dampening any incentive for companies to invest the effort, the time and the money in developing innovative treatments for future diseases or current diseases that we face because they're going to throw their hands up and go, well, you know, under this type of administration, they're just going to give our intellectual property away. Why should we invest in this stuff? I mean, again, I, I don't trust necessarily the ph pharmaceutical companies in all of this mess, but but that is the exact opposite if you want innovation of how you should handle it. Right. That And that's the main problem. Let me tell you some of the other problems. Okay. If you decide, oh, our medical imaging machine, our uh, – you know, whatever it is, our CAT scan, our super fancy CAT scan that we just invented can be used to diagnose COVID in the lungs. Oh, guess what? Now it's COVID technology. And Joe Biden wants to give your medical imaging technology to China. Right. OK, so if you're in a boardroom or you're and, and somebody in the boardroom says, you know, I think we could use our invention to help with COVID. The rest of the board members are going to look at you and say, shut up. Right. We're not getting our technology tagged as COVID technology so that Joe Biden can give it away. So right. then you have people who don't even want to use their solutions to solve this problem. Yeah. The, the other thing you have is now the MR, mRNA technology was being used as an experimental drug to try and find a cure for cancer. Right. Are you going to give away? Mm. And by the way, if I if I got a vaccine, I would take the one that's not mRNA. Okay, right. let 
let somebody else be the test case. I'll be the control group. But if I had cancer and somebody said mRNA might be able to, you know, give you five more years of life, I would say give it to me. Right. Okay. So he's talking about giving that away. Right. And then finally, think about this. We, when the pandemic started, everybody panicked and people were overbuying, et cetera, et cetera. Antibiotics were in short supply. What did we find out? Our Most of our drugs are made in China right. or overseas, right? Yeah. Even the simple stuff, right, that was invented a gazillion years ago, made in China. If you give away the IP, the vaccines, we won't have the, the facilities and the technology in the United States to make vaccines. That will go to China, hmm. the manufacturers. And right now they're being manufactured, for instance, in Michigan and Kansas, uh, that would just go to China because Joe Biden doesn't want you just to give away your patents. He wants you to give away the know-how, right. the trade secrets, all of that. Yeah, that's insane. It is insane. What When you say that you want to bit let others be the test case on the vaccine, what is your biggest concern about it? Uh, I'm not a doctor. Yeah. But my concern is some kind of autoimmune disorder that shows up years later right because you're teaching your body to make something that irritates your body right and what if the vaccine works too well i mean the the whole i think the theory behind oh we we need to do this with mrna one of it one of the theories was well it's going to be too hard to manufacture the the killed virus or or bits of the virus yeah and so we'll have the body do it for us. Okay. And, but, well, there are other manufacturers who've somehow figured out how to do it without mRNA. But the other idea was, well, we want the response to be long-lasting. So let's have your body manufacture this stuff, the, i.e. the spike that's on the, the virus. Right. And teach your body to fight something that your body's manufacturing. And then... Maybe that will last longer. Right. Well, how do you turn that off? Right. When does your body quit making spike proteins? Yeah. That to me sounds like a logical concern, which we won't know the answer to for several more years. Um, So, yeah, I mean, but and again, it seems largely safe. Neither of you, neither you nor I are doctors. And I just this is why I'm vehemently against any kind of forced uh, taking to the vaccine. I'm against employers making their employees take it, and I'm against any kind of vaccine passport in order to participate in society. I am um, too. It's it's ridiculous. So. It's it, the the risk reward calculation is different for every person on this planet. Yes. If I were, if I had not had my children yet, I wouldn't be taking the vaccine. Right. Right. Uh, if I were 80 years old. I'd probably be taking the vaccine if right. I'd not already survived COVID. Right. Again, okay. risk versus reward. Risk versus reward. Yeah. I'm Makes 50. Sense. I've already had the virus. Uh, I'm not going to take it because there's no study showing that it's beneficial. Yeah, there are studies showing that you can get your body angry right. by injecting it with the vaccine after you've had the the virus. Right. In other words, oh, well, we see the antibodies go up when we inject people with the vaccine after, you know, they've recovered from COVID. Okay, well, look, tell me what the health outcomes were. Right. 
But the reality is if you're over 50, your best years are behind you. Yeah. And so it's a coin toss. Just you know, make yeah. your own decision. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. I, I, I'm kind of with you on that. There was another thing I wanted to talk to you about today was uh, your. By the way, I'm over 50. I'm not picking on anyone <laughs> over 50. I got you. I got you. Um, one of the other things that you do among fighting for freedom and privacy and all those things is you also fight for the second amendment. Uh, you're the co-chair of the two a caucus in the, in the, uh, in Congress, um, president uh, Biden, of course, taking advantage of the horrible actions in San Jose, California, um, this week to call for immediate action on gun control. He says, quote, enough. Right. Um, I don't really know what that means when he says that, because the problem that gun control people are presenting when they try to solve a problem by taking away inanimate objects is they're completely failing to recognize that it's the person who engages in the violence. And they have this idea that if we just take guns away from people, somehow we'll all be safe. And yet criminals will continue for all time, as they do in every country, regardless of gun control laws, to get their hands on guns. And you will absolutely leave American citizens completely def defenseless. In that situation with the Transportation Authority, um, this former employee, I, I would I would hazard a guess that in the state of California, none, no one in there was was able to be armed to defend themselves against a criminal who inevitably was going to break laws to have access to the guns. And it makes no sense. 96% of shootings are either in a gun-free zone or somewhere like an employer, you know, in a situation where an employer bans the gun employees from carrying the guns. Um, and so that regular citizens can't have guns. That's, that's right. 96% of mass public shootings since the 1950s. Notice that Joe Biden and his co-conspirators <laughs> co use terms like gun safety and gun violence. They are loath to use the word gun control. Yeah, they've done the they've done this. They've done the polling. They'll try to say, Focus oh, it's, they'll say it's 90 percent popular mm -hmm. that, oh, you know, universal background checks, 90 percent popular. OK, how come when they put it on a referendum in Maine, it went down by six points? Right. OK, it wasn't even 50 percent popular. And then Nevada, it passed by less than a percent. And Bloomberg spent over 30 dollars a vote. So it's not 90 percent popular. It, uh, so they'll, they'll couch it in terms of gun violence and gun safety. I, you're using the word gun control. I like to use the word gun control. That's what it is, except uh, other than the, you know, gun control is acquiring your target and you know yeah. shooting it directly but <laughs> defensive accuracy yes gun control <laughs> uh i don't want any more victims of gun control right what we see are victims of gun control mm -hmm. i have a former staffer nikki goser uh who author of stalked and defenseless a book yes. everyone should read if you're interested in why it's important to preserve the second amendment she testified in front of the senate this in the past month um, this was before she worked for me. She was newly married. Her and her husband, Ben, had a karaoke business. You know, they both had, like, day jobs. But as a hobby and for fun, they would set up karaoke and, and do it in different places. Well, she had a stalker she didn't know was her stalker. Until the night he came into one of the establishments where they were doing the karaoke. And she left her gun in her car. And her stalker 
came up to her husband, was acting weird, and shot him in cold blood right in front of her. Mm-hmm. And then we went down, he shot him some more. And Nikki, to this day, is haunted by the fact that she followed the law, mm-hmm. and f- she was a... F- she and her husband, Ben, were victims of gun control. Yeah. 100%. Now, she got the law changed in Tennessee right. and in several other states since then. And she's been so passionate about making sure there aren't more victims of gun control that she came to Washington, D.C., left her home in Tennessee and worked for me, helping run the Second Amendment caucus for over a year. Yeah. And um, she's just passionate about this because there's so many victims of gun control. And her point on red flag laws which I'm totally against red flag laws. It's it turns their judicial system on its head. Yeah. Whether you're pro two A or not, you should understand that guilty until proven innocent is turning, you know, our system of uh, justice on its head. Mm-hmm. But Nikki's worried about red flag laws because she said, you know, if people had met her in the year after her husband's shooting, they might have said. She shouldn't have guns. She shouldn't have guns. She was dealing she's... with all that grief, and yet that, right. that stalker, had he not been caught, could have come after her during that period of time. That's a great point. We're talking with Congressman Thomas Massey, chair of the 2A caucus in Congress. Um, there, there, it seems as though Biden doesn't have the fire for gun control that he had in the past. Um, he says enough, but I'm not really sure what the proposal is here. Do you con- what, what are you most concerned about? Are you concerned about... Because they seem to use these, even when AR-15s aren't used, they use these shootings as an example of why we should ban them. Uh, I know he would like to see a limit on magazine capacity. I know he would like to ban, quote-unquote, assault rifles. What do you see actually happening from this? What should we be concerned about as gun owners and uh, uh, advocates of the Second Amendment? Well, first of all, every gun control piece of legislation that's come up in the House has passed. Uh, it goes through the house like grease through a goose because Nancy Pelosi's in charge and uh, it's been stopped in the Senate uh, because Manchin and Cinema won't, you know, loan their votes to get rid of the filibuster rule. But the one thing that I'm worried the most about is what Joe Biden said in the Rose Garden. <clears throat> if he could have one wish, he would make gun manufacturers liable for everything that happens with the gun right right and that essentially ends the second amendment in an interim round he knows if you did that for instance with automobiles right nobody would nobody would manufacture automobiles right right and it's untrue that you can't be liable for a defective gun if the gun's defective and it goes off if the gun's at fault okay and sometimes they can be. You have manufacturing defects. They can be sued for that. Right. Yeah, of course. Just like an automaker. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But what you can't do is anticipate everything that somebody might do with a gun and wrong with a gun and then sue them for the activities of a human, which is which Joe Biden knows would put him out of business. It seems like that would never stand up to the Supreme Court scrutiny because of the argument that you just articulated with automobiles. You could say that anyone... You, should, you could say that we're going to hold Louisville Slugger responsible for everyone who's ever beaten up with a baseball bat. Like, that's so, to me, as, as, as much as that's a scary thing to say, it's so profoundly stupid that I don't, I don't see how anything like that would hold up before the Supreme Court. Probably wouldn't hold up in this Supreme Court, but 
in some future Supreme Court it might. Yeah, some future packed Supreme Court. <laughs> yes. So that makes sense. Um, I'm a big fan, as you know, of the National Reciprocity Bill um, that would basically say to California, look, you can have your laws about guns, but if Leland's passing through your state, you can't infringe upon his right to defend himself. Um, do you know what the status of that bill actually is? And uh, I imagine I can't imagine Pelosi would even bring that for a vote right now. Oh, it's it's dead on arrival in the House right now, but we're making progress in the courts. And eventually we could get to a situation where every state has to be a shall issue state. That would be freaking awesome. Because um, Washington, D.C. got to that point and they did not appeal it to the Supreme Court. And the reason they did not appeal it to the Supreme Court, and this just happened in the last three years, is because... California and Hawaii and Illinois called up Washington, D.C. and said, you all are going to lose in the Supreme Court, and then we'll have to be shall issue. Right, right. But there is a there is a case working its way. The New York case. The New York case. That the Supreme Court has agreed to hear, yeah. And it's the same, it's the same, well, I don't want to say same, but it's a similar situation. Washington, D.C. would always give you a permit if you had a good reason. Right. The problem is... They didn't think anybody's reason was good <laughs> right. for any reason. And unless you were famous, rich and famous. Right. And that's the way it is in New York and California. Yeah. Uh, by the way, we had a we had a gun control hearing in uh, our judiciary committee just uh, last week. It was actually less than a week ago. Mm-hmm. And I pointed out how racist the gun control, the outcomes of gun control are. Mm. Uh, in the city of, or in Los Angeles County, California, you have to have a good reason to to get a concealed carry permit. Well, 50, about 50% of the people in Los Angeles County are Hispanic. Mm. But only 6% of those who get permits, who are, are allowed a permit, are Hispanic. Interesting. Uh, it's similar for uh, women and blacks in Los Angeles County. Mm-hmm. The numbers, so nationwide, about 30% of permit holders are women. It's less than half of that in Los Angeles County where you have to have a good reason. Wow. And the, and the numbers are similarly dismal for blacks nationwide versus Los Angeles County, where you have to have a good reason. Right. You can go anywhere that you have to have a good reason, and you're going to find out the outcomes are racist. Right. Uh, it's the same thing with instant background checks. John Lott, who at, toward the end of the Trump administration, actually was able to work at the Department of Justice. He's written nine books. He collects these statistics. He said he had a- access to information there that showed that false positives for uh, blacks were three times greater than they were for whites with the instant background check system. Right. And he maintains that's because, you know, whether you're Caucasian or Hispanic or black, you have similar surnames within your race or ethnicity. And if there's a, a category of your ethnicity or race who are locked up and you're 
and the instant background check misidentifies mistakes, last names, mistakes, last names first names. Right. Uh, it's just the, it ends up punishing law-abiding citizens who have every right to have access to their Second Amendment because the system doesn't know the difference between last names. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's that's a that is an egregious violation of the rights of minorities in America. And um, there should be. I wish there was more passionate about it um, out there because it, I to me every single American deserves this right. Every can, single American deserves all of the rights. You know, can, can you imagine? <laughs> so in some states, it can cost two or three hundred dollars to to get the right to own a gun, to get a permit, to have your gun, et cetera, right. et cetera. By the time you get through the training requirements and all that, it could be more. Can you imagine if there was a two or three hundred dollar tax to vote? Right. Yeah. And no, I'm not proposing that. No. I'm, prop- I'm what I'm saying is that when you charge for something that's an essential right or uh you know or privilege granted to you as an american citizen you're having to pay the king back for your your inalienable rights it makes no sense that's right uh and so it's going to disproportionately fall on the poor yeah especially these training requirements a lot of these states are trying to have training requirements and training is good i know you are fully on board with training you train people isn't that right I I work in the firearms training industry. Okay. You work in that industry. So you know how helpful it can be. But if you're a single mom and you are having a hard time (laughs) making ends meet, getting child care, where are you going to find 16 hours to Mm -hmm. go without? And you're working hourly. hourly. Where are you going to find 16 hours and $500 to do a training course? And why should you have to? Right. Well, as a, as a, as a person who believes firmly in the Second Amendment, I, I, I also believe that it's a freedom that comes with responsibility and you should take the responsibility to be trained. But the, the, I always default to liberty, and that is, first of all, you should not have to pay for your right to own a gun. You know, Training costs money. Um, and what you've done by forcing someone to pay the king first is you have forced them to spend more money than they may possibly have, and they now might choose not to go spend the money on the training and education that they should get, which thus makes them less safe. So you've actually hindered their ability to operate that gun safely and lawfully because it's also important that people understand the law when they own a firearm, especially if they're going to carry it. And so, yeah, I mean, I my, my passion always defaults to liberty because liberty is the best way for all of this stuff to work, right? And so... By forcing people to pay for their rights, sometimes, like you said, north of hundreds of dollars, and then training can cost north of hundreds of dollars, you know, the average person doesn't have that. And especially someone who is a single mom, there's the, 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 the example that you gave. Yeah, I, apply, apply that to speech, apply it to voting, yeah, apply it's it to ridiculous. any other thing. People wouldn't stand for it. No, not at all. All right. Well, I know you got to run because you have a big go- uh, vote today, don't you? Don't you have like a committee you got to get to or something? What do you? Got... What kind of trouble are you raising today? <laughs> well, I did get in some trouble last week. Nancy Pelosi fined me five hundred dollars. Well, I've, I've been seeing you throwing away her little letters about not wearing your mask. Yes, and I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> the The next fine is twenty five hundred dollars. I hope I don't incur that. I think it's a violation. We need to the... start a GoFundMe. <laughs> I. And that's they're saying that's not even legal. Mm. 
and, and they're taking it directly out of my paycheck, which is a violation of the 27th Amendment, I maintain. 27th Amendment says you can't vary your salary wow. in Congress, wow. not up or down, without an inter- intervening election. Right. And she passed this fine, this Congress. And um, I just I think it's unconstitutional, but I also think it's ridiculous. A hundred percent of the Democrats say they've been vaccinated. What does it say about their confidence in their vaccine if they're telling me I have to wear a mask? Right. Right. And I can give them the data. I shouldn't even have to. It's none of their daggone business. But I can give them the, the data that shows that I've recovered and I can give them the data that shows that the. Uh, they, they don't care about that, though, Congressman Massey. Keep, they, they value their theater. You know, they trust in their theater more than they trust in the vaccine. It, it's it's because they know this theater is keeping people under the thumb of, you know, I mean, I, it's unbelievable to me how many people are still wearing freaking masks out there now that the de facto the mask mandate has been lim- lifted because as far as anybody knows, I've been vaccinated. Come ask me. It's not. It's and it's right. No, come ask me because if you come and ask me if I've been vaccinated, I'm going to say, "Hey, how'd that last STD test work out for you?" (laughs) Real loud, right in the middle of the produce section of the grocery store. Hey, you know, still getting up four times to pee at night. Have you got that (laughs) test yet? That'll that'll be me. It's none of their business, right? So, well, you you know what I like about your long format? Yeah, what's that? (laughs) Is I know you get a lot of secondhand hate. Yeah, from I do people that listen to your show because I'm on it mm-hmm. and they just hate me. And so they hate you yeah. by association. Yep. But in the long format, think about the liberal who's sifting through this to try and find one little thing to skewer me on in their right. next op-ed. Right. Okay. They just got a one hour education in freedom and liberty from Leland Conway and Thomas Massey. <laughs> right. Unless they got some AI that's sorting this stuff out for them. Right. Which they don't. They have to listen to everything we say to right. try and find something to get triggered about today. I, I That's why I love podcasting because as much as I love radio and always will do it in probably some form or another, but it to be able to sit down and have a con- conversations with people, especially people that are willing to be real, which is one of the things I love about you because – you know, it's it's so I've spent my entire career trying to get human tidbits out of people in the news. And it can be some of these people are professional at not veering off of talking points. I remember we had a get as a guest. Uh, Senator McConnell was a guest early on in this podcast, me and uh, Cameron Mills. And we got a full belly laugh out of him at one point. And that was like to me, that was like winning an Emmy award because the guy is so pro at sticking to talking points and never veering from message to actually get him to belly laugh and tell a joke was like, you know, the, 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 one of the hardest things to accomplish, but you can't do that unless you can sit down with somebody for an hour, you know, and really just get through and, and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. That's there's, there's people out there that professionally take people out of, out of context and you know what? Shame on them. And that's a horrible person. It really is. It is. Um, by the way, the thing that I'm going to next is a judiciary hearing, and I'm undecided on the bill, if you can imagine that. But it's a hearing on a bill that w- would uh, introduce secondary liability to a platform like Amazon or eBay if they sell counterfeit goods 
uh, on their website after they've been warned that the goods are counterfeit. Hmm. So the concern is, is this another regulation that's going to keep small businesses from getting started? Right. Um, is this going to increase liability to small businesses? And then, of course, there's a small business exception. But what the small business exception does is it keeps small businesses small. Right. Once they get to that ceiling. Yeah, that, was like, that was like Obamacare, you know. Like, right. Yeah, let's keep everybody people. under 50 people. There were so many companies that just didn't hire but could have. So know. so I'm torn on this bill. And so I'm going to listen to the, to the witnesses and I'm going to ask questions. Well, ask this question. Ask them what their definition of counterfeit is. And the reason I ask that, because I'm thinking when, when I'm thinking from your perspective about small businesses, the question that pops in my mind is, are we talking about something that purports to be something else? Or are we talking about something that is merely, hey, that's a cool product. I'm going to make my version of it. That's going to be essentially the same thing with a different brand name, which happens all the time in our economy. Right. Part of a free market. Ask them what the definition of counterfeit is, because that seems like to me. If they're broadening that definition, then you could really crush small businesses that might be, oh, look, Coach makes a purse. Well, I make a purse, too. looks pretty similar. It's not the exact same thing, and I'm not selling it as a Coach purse. I'm selling it as a Bob purse, but right. it looks kind of similar because that's a style that's trendy right now. That's a <laughs> – you know, there's always the reason they say they want the bill, and then there's the real reason they have the bill. And so your question would get to the heart of that – uh, presumably, you know, one would presume they're talking about registered trademarks, but what if it's a purse that looks like a purse, but it doesn't say Gucci on it? Right, exactly. Because styles are styles. And I can see a lot of people doing small business that are like, hey, I got a fanny pack too. Check it out. Looks kind of like that one fanny pack, but yeah, it's got the, you know, I mean, I don't know. It just, I, I don't, I, I am as, I am almost as, these days, I am almost as untrusting of big business as I am of big government. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, the, the one interesting thing in here is the big, the big platforms like Amazon and eBay are against it. Right, of course. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. And it probably will affect the, all the crap from China that's being sold here. Yeah. So, uh, you know. I can I see know. how you're on. I could see how you're undecided on this one. I really could. Yeah. Well, totally. I'm going to listen to the witnesses, and I don't have my mind already made up. Unlike about everybody else in the hearing, <laughs> kind of hard to believe there's a politician that that is willing to admit I don't have my mind made up. Um, you know. So, well, listen, it's great talking to you again. I appreciate it, and um, this has been good stuff. I've really enjoyed it. All right. Talk All right. to you later. Right. Have a Thanks. good one. Thank you so Bye-bye. much. Bye. All right, fascinating conversation. Big thanks to Congressman Massey for popping on with us. Um, also, a big thanks to our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops, for supporting the show. Please let them know how much you appreciate it. You can give them a call. Um, even if you're not you know, ready yet to have your kitchen done, but you will sometime, just say, hey, uh, I appreciate you supporting the, uh, the, the uh, Disruption Zone podcast. I love that podcast, and when we're ready, we'll give you a call. It's 502-930-3304, 502-930-3304. But if you are ready, this is the place. I've been a customer of theirs. They did our kitchen in Kentucky before uh, we sold our house there, and I'm pretty confident that the beauty of that job they did is why our house sold in less than a day. We went with quartz, which is a little more expensive, but it was worth it because it was lower maintenance. But you might be looking for a really cool granite pattern. Who knows? You know, That's up to you, and that's why it's a good idea to call their designers, Kelly, Michelle, and George, and let them talk you through and help 
help build your dream kitchen from start to finish. Now, if you're a do-it-yourselfer or a contractor, they also have beautiful cabinets in stock that are affordable, and I'm talking about all kinds of different styles. Shaker cabinets, modern cabinets, dark espresso cabinets, white cabinets, uh, traditional cabinets, country cabinets. You know, if you want to, if you want to be like circa 1990 and have your little duck border around the kitchen uh, top of the kitchen and your little your little porcelain ducks on top, you know, that whole country look. If that's what you like, you know, you basically want a little Cracker Barrel in your own house. Go for it. They've got that for you. Or if you're more modern and you like the sleek lines, go for that as well. That's on the website as well. It's LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com, and uh, again, that phone number is 502-930-3304. They have those cabinets in stock if you're a do-it-yourselfer or a contractor, so check it out. Big thanks to my good-for-nothing, lazy-butted co-executive producer and uh, host Cameron Mills. Thanks to JP Webb Design Dynamics Productions in Lexington, Kentucky, for their help with the audio on this program, and to you and the thousands of you who download this podcast weekly. I appreciate you so much. Leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. It helps them push it out to more people. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or iHeartRadio's app, and it will send new episodes straight to your phone when you sign up, and signing up is free. So share that with your friends as well. Follow me on Twitter, at Leland Show, and at Great uh, at Zone Disruption. And on Instagram, it's at Great Lilando and at The Disruption Zone. Thanks for listening. This has been a disruption to your day. All right? Leland Conway.